You slept in. We're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that at home in your nice, warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. You'll still miss out on the intergenerational community and the sport and encouragement that that brings. And you'll miss out on some good music and some adorable, adorable children. And there won't be any cookies, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. We're not theological experts or paragons of preaching. We are your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. So we started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working, or maybe you're just sleeping in, you can come keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon we gave on Sunday. We actually have this conversation every week anyway. We're just letting you spy on it so that you can keep up with what we're thinking about. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, whether you're out for a run or running errands or maybe just snuggled up at home with a cup of coffee, uh, we hope that you receive this with an open mind and an open heart. And on that, we have a quick note that we give every week. And that is is that we don't really care if you agree with everything we say or not. It's not that we don't care what you think. It's just that we don't actually believe that everybody has to think the same. We encourage you to question what we say, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. But our sincere hope is that you, in the midst of that, will experience the mysterious loving force of God, that you will experience that movement in your life as you consider this. All right, so at Reno First, the downtown UMC, we are in week two of our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's pretty famous sermon. Uh, it's just kind of one of those ones that people have heard of. You Maybe might have heard, heard of it. About it. We, uh, we both talked about the first part of it last week, which was the Beatitudes, the blessed are. But this week, we sort of move into Jesus talking about what he thinks that might look like when we live it out in the world. And so we are working through Matthew chapter 5 at the moment. And today, the scripture was about salt and light. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm going to put you on a stand. I'm putting you on a hill so you can shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. And then he gets into this piece about, I'm not here to abolish the Jewish scripture. I'm here to help you figure out how to live fully into it. This was the scripture this week was, you're salt, you're light. And I think a lot of times we read that and we go, yeah, we are pretty awesome. Yeah, aren't we pretty? We're pretty cool. We're pretty cool. We taste good. (laughs) But I think uh, Jesus might have a little bit more for us to get out of that. No. Than just patting ourselves on the back. So... I started with a story about Hamilton, the mm-hmm. Broadway musical. Perhaps by you've heard of it. Lin-Manuel Miranda, if you haven't, the, I highly recommend the soundtrack. I told my people, it's rap, but they rap slow enough that I can understand them, so you can all understand them too. <laughs> and it's about the uh, Revolutionary War and the founding of the country and the founding fathers. So Washington, Jefferson, Hamilton all show up. Uh, and of course... And Lafayette. Yes, the Marquis de Lafayette, who is awesome. And... Hercules Mulligan and all of those guys who are sort of famous. Yeah, makes you realize us. that strange names are not a new thing. Yes, <laughs> it's an it's an amazing musical and I highly recommend it. And 
I have been listening to the soundtrack for the last couple of weeks in the car. In fact, I was listening to it when I was in the car with other friends. And so one of my friends very helpfully added me to a Hamilton meme Facebook group. (laughs) The Facebook group is mostly made up of funny memes about the play. People offering their own covers of the songs, which... (laughs) Okay. Good and bad. Good and bad. Skip. Okay. Yeah. If you think you can sing it better than Broadway, by all means, have at And, you know, art that people have drawn that is inspired by the play. And pretty much any time Lin-Manuel Miranda sneezes, it ends up in this group and everybody (laughs) freaks out about it. I'm not that hardcore of a Hamilton fan, but I do like the memes. The memes are quite funny. And so sometimes I go in there and check it out. And somebody had taken part of one of the songs out of context they were talking about... Oh, no, not out of... Not, not you know how texting. I feel about context. I know how you feel about proof texting. <laughs> it's proof texting Hamilton. <laughs> you don't do that. So they'd taken part of one of the songs out of context. It was supposed to be about the French Revolution. And the United States, of course, had a treaty with France. They had this agreement that they would help out if they right. needed to rise up or whatever. But their, their treaty was with a king who had been killed. Right. So the treaty was null. Right. Um, and the founding fathers are arguing about whether or not they should help the French fight off... Revolution. Yes. And some of them think that they should. Jefferson generally thinks that they should, and Hamilton generally thinks that they shouldn't. But uh, one of the things that Hamilton says is the people are not governing, they're rioting. And somebody had taken that part of it out of context in order to denigrate all of the protests and marches. And yeah, even a little bit of rioting at Berkeley. Thanks, guys, for that. Where people are trying to exercise their constitutionally protected freedom of speech... And calling people snowflakes and saying, get over it and all of that. And they were using Hamilton to do that, which I found hilarious. Now It is hilarious. I expect to see that everywhere else on Facebook. But but not in a Hamilton chat room. Not in a group that supposedly actually knows history. Right. Because it's about a revolutionary war that was based on rioting against an oppressive government and who features prominently all of the characters that wrote the Bill of Rights, which protects our right to freedom of speech. Preach. And so I, I couldn't help myself. I know it's a bad idea to get into political conversations on Facebook, but I could not help <laughs> myself. I had to point out the incongruity. Right. And you did, I'm sure argument. you did it very well. I did it very graciously and maybe a little bit snarkily, but it ended up opening up this whole conversation between me and the woman who posted it. Mm-hmm. It was very respectful. Right. There was no name calling. Nice. Everybody was okay with everybody having a different opinion, even if I think they're wildly wrong and misleading other people and resorting right. to snark instead of genuine conversation most of the time. Uh, we had this conversation, but the context of it, for me, changed the whole conversation because right. it was based in this group around, like, yay for this- these people who rioted and got right. us our freedom as a nation. Yeah. So this is, this is how I came in. I felt like I was living in bizarro world that I'd had this conversation. And then I said... Just like in this conversation in scripture, context matters. matters. Context is hugely huge. important. And so... Or as they would say in Pennsylvania, huge. It's huge. Huge. It's huge. And so Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I need you to understand, was not preached in a vacuum. It wasn't like Jesus... It was a nice day and in fairyland. And, and he Jesus stood on a mountain and said something. Walked things. up a hill and said, hey, you guys, here's some... Pretty sayings. Here's some trite sayings that Here's you can use. Here's some things to... that are going to look beautiful and cross-stitch. Some cro- you can cross-stitch these things on a pillow. It'll be great. No, Jesus is like opening up the room of requirement. Okay. Right. Jesus is like unleashing the mystery at this point. But 
He's not speaking into a vacuum. He's talking about very practical matters. And he's entering into a conversation that's already happening between three different factions of Judaism at the time. Right. Because we tend to we tend to monolith things, right? Yeah, we like, oh, there's the Jews and the Romans. But like, no, there's all of these different groups within the Jews that are all trying to figure out how do we live under these circumstances? And their primary defining circumstance was what? Oppression. Oppression. They were under occupation by the Roman Empire. In fact, they hadn't owned themselves since the Babylonian exile thousands of years before. Right. And so this is not a new conversation for them. This is an old conversation for them of how do we live when we do not have political independence? Right. How do we live when the people in power don't share our values or our beliefs um, and don't govern us in the way that we want to be governed? Right. What do we do? How do we live? And so some of you might be able to draw some parallels in your own lives to our current situation. And others of you will go, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor Chris, and that's cool too. For those of you who have ears to hear, here's the rest of Jesus's conversation. Uh, for, for Jews at the time, political and religious identities were interwoven. Which is an important thing because we, as Americans, have a very separate sense of that. Mm-hmm. With separation of church and state, right. another constitutionally protected right and whether you believe it happens in the way it's supposed to or not we definitely have this this view that the two are not conflated we're not we don't conflate them christianity is not the ruling government of the united states if you've heard somebody say the united states is a christian nation they are not studying their history most of the founders were not christian they did not want us to be a christian nation they wrote freedom of religion into the bill of rights on purpose And if they were people of faith, they were not necessarily the people of faith of the way you might understand it right. today. Most of them were deists or atheists. And right. so deists sort of believe that God set the world in motion and then stepped back and was just chilling, eating popcorn and watching the game, right? God's not actually active in our lives. Um, and atheists, of course, think that there is no God. You can't prove there's a God, so I'm not going to believe in God. And so most of the founding fathers were not trying to make us into a Christian nation. And they'd seen the problem. They'd seen the problem. They were trying to make us into a free nation where you can practice whatever religion you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. So now that I've gotten that rant out of my system. Sorry, didn't mean to. You didn't mean to get me back on my soapbox again. Jesus is entering into this conversation of when we are not politically free, if our religious identity is tied up in that, how do we maintain our religion and our culture, even though we're not politically independent? Right. There were three groups that were arguing about this that I'm going to talk about. The first group is the Sadducees. God help me, three years of theological education, and the way I remember who they are is still the childhood rhyme. They did not believe in the resurrection, and so they were sad. You, you see? see? Oh. Yeah, it's pretty they didn't believe. They didn't believe in the resurrection, like that there was Not the resurrection of Jesus, death. right? Jesus was still right. alive like, at this like point. Life after death. They didn't believe in life after death. They thought when you died, you died, and that was cool. Which, like a lot of pastors I know sort of believe that, and so that's cool too. Sadducees just didn't believe in heaven or hell after death. The Sadducees were realists. They were very practical. Their answer to this question of how do we live when we are occupied by people who do not share our political leanings was to collaborate. Hmm. They decided that they would make compromises on things that were actually quite important to them in the hope that Rome would allow them to maintain a little bit of independence, that they would have a little bit of freedom. So they're willing to give most of it away in order to keep a little bit of it. These that, are the, may, uh, that also may make them sad, you see. They were also sad, you see. So Couldn't we're going to stop with the puns now. But <laughs> I promise. Well, maybe you are. <laughs> okay. Well, and I can't even promise that. I'm, uh, no promises. But 
The Sadducees are collaborators. Okay. okay. The, the Sadducees are the south of France during Nazi Germany. Right. All right. Then we have the Zealots. Perhaps yeah. you might understand from their name what their approach was. All or nothing. All or nothing. And so their approach was, we will rise up with weapons and violence, and we will fight off Rome. And even if we all die in the process, at least we will never have compromised. So that seems good and healthy yeah. to me. The the zealots. So we have the Sadducees who were like, ah, get over it. We have the zealots who were like, over never. my dead body. Yeah. Braveheart. Scotland. Um, <laughs> and then we have the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees in scripture, they get a bad rap. Whenever we're talking about the Pharisees, generally we're talking about the people that were judging. But what I need you to understand is that the Pharisees were actually the progressive political and religious identity of the Jews. They were the progressives. They were the ones who were trying to push reform, who were trying to be reasonable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But they weren't quite they weren't quite getting it. Right. Jim Wallace wrote a really great book, Why the Right Gets It Wrong and the Left Doesn't Get It. And I sort of think of that when I think of the Pharisees. Like, they're either getting it wrong or they don't get it. And so the Pharisees, their whole idea was that they would just cut themselves off, isolate themselves from... Not of this world. Yes. They, so they wanted to kind of create ghettos in which they could practice their own beliefs mm-hmm. and ignore the rest of the world. The rest of the world was sinful. We don't want anything to do with them. God's reign is coming. We'll just wait for it in our own little protected churches. Enclave. And walls. We will hide right. until it's over. Hmm. That was the Pharisees' approach. If we can't be politically independent, then we will try to force religious and cultural independence within our little nooks and crannies. Right. This is the context in which Jesus says, I want you to be light on a hill. I want you to be salt that flavors the whole earth. I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to rise up and be violent. And I don't want you to compromise. I want you to be who you are out loud. Whoa. I think this has a lot to teach us about who we are right now. Of course, we there's all of this kind of political contention right now between mm-hmm. uh, who's in power and who's not in power. Um, there's all of this contention that works itself out in demonstrations of free speech, which I think are good. Yep. Um, because that's who we are. Democracy is dependent on the people speaking. And the people are speaking. They're finally trying to get organized. They feel threatened. And so there's a little bit of a fire underneath them. But, but they're speaking. I think this is who we are called to be. Yeah. Now I went to the March a couple weeks ago, the women's March. Yes. I was in Nashville at the time and I found it to be both really uplifting and a little bit sad at the same time. Most things are. Yeah. Not all one thing or another. Most people that who were there were really positive and standing up for whether it was immigrant rights or women's rights or reproductive rights or all three LGBTQ rights or if they had a sign where they couldn't decide and all of them were listed or whatever. My sign said girls just want to have fun, demental human rights. <laughs> different people had different uh, different signs and and we didn't all need to agree or be there for the same reason and that was cool. But there were some signs that were not actually saying anything positive. Mm. They were just trying to tear down what they thought was negative. Right. So there were a lot of signs about the size of somebody's hands or <laughs> hair and I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's positive it doesn't contribute to the conversation in any good way right it's just snarky and it makes people defensive and frankly those jokes are two years old friends humor like sermons should have a shelf life about the same as a loaf of bread (laughs) after about a week it should be dead it should be gone and so when you've heard the same joke for two years straight it's not funny anymore so not only is it not helpful it's not funny right there are plenty of things to crack jokes about let's not limit ourselves to hair and hands we can do better we can do better
I also don't think it's helpful when people tell everybody they should shut up and get over it. They're little snowflakes and they're whiners and all I can all I can think of birthers. Well, you know, I think people who wave the Confederate flag are not allowed to tell us to get over it. I agree. So I agree. There's so there's that right where. It's not helpful to just make fun of. If we're going to be salt, if we're going to be light, we have to actually talk about what we care about. Mm -hmm. We have to stand up for what we say is important to us and not just knock down what we think is bad. Some of that means pretending that the reign of God is already here, which is one of the things that Jesus was doing. He's criticizing the Pharisees for saying, this is not some future thing that's going to happen. This is happening now. Right. And you need to get involved with it now because if you wait... You're missing out. God is already moving in the world. There's already God flavor in the world. If you're going to be salt, you're just bringing that out. Right. You're just making it. What does salt do in a recipe? Noticeable. Yeah. It just brings out everything else's flavor. If you just have salt and it's just plain salt, like that's not going to feed you. That's not going to nourish you. You got to have it just as a seasoning in the rest of the world. And so to be able to say that we are salt, we are light is about standing up for what we care about, being who we are out loud, uh, even when it's not perhaps the opinion of the people who are in power. Christianity has always been countercultural. And even when we have become part of the power, we have spoken truth to that power. Exactly. We have tried to. We've tried to. Not perfectly. Yeah. But that's part of our role. That's yeah. been part of the role of the, of the church is to say. So Jesus is saying self-preservation is not enough. That we actually have to stand up for what we believe in. We have to speak truth to power. And that, that's, uh, that's going to be important. So I talked about two people in history that I think have done this well. Okay. Branch Rickey who was the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers after World War II. And he didn't ask for permission. He didn't poll the people who had investments in the Brooklyn Dodgers. He didn't ask the fans their opinion. He just hired Jackie Robinson. Robinson. He said, I think we should desegregate the league. I'm going to do it. One of my favorite things is when that 42 movie came out, everybody came to church and said, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Because the Methodists get a shout out. Yeah. Um, Branch Rickey said, well, Jackie Robinson's a Methodist, so he can't be all bad. <laughs> right. Well, if he's a Methodist and I'm a Methodist, we can do this. We can do this. And so they decided that they were going to do that. So he took Jackie Robinson aside and he said, look, you're going to be taunted. People are not going to be okay with this. They're going to call you every four letter word that's not in the dictionary. I need you to be okay with that and to just pretend like this is already normal. Mm. And that's how we're going to get through it. And so they did, and it changed the face of baseball forever. Nobody would ever, ever now think about suggesting that we should have leagues, separate leagues for black people or white people or Latino people or Asian people. Like, we are all in this together. We are American. Right. Baseball is the American sport, and we're going to reflect the face of America. But it had to start with two people who were willing not to just say, like, segregation is bad, but to actually pretend as if there could be a different way. Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson, I think, didn't have equal parts in that, but they both had to risk something to make it happen. The other person is Mary Evans. Mary Evans was the daughter of an evangelical priest Mm -hmm. who thought that women's role was in the home, Mm -hmm. and that was it. And she desperately wanted to be a writer. Women were not allowed to write unless they were quaint three-part novels about women's issues, but certainly nothing important. So she escaped. She got married as soon as she possibly could, and she escaped, and she started to write. And in 1859, she released her first novel, Adam Beatty, and shortly following The Mill on the Floss, Mm -hmm. and then after that, Silas Marner. Mm -hmm. You might know her as George, uh, George Eliot. (laughs) She wrote under a male pseudonym because she knew that that was how she would be accepted, but she didn't let people telling her that women shouldn't write define her life. She decided to define herself in her own way, despite what everybody else thought was acceptable. She stood up for what she thought was right. 
And she said this. She said, any coward can fight a battle when he's sure of winning. Hmm. But give me a man who has the pluck to fight when he's sure of losing. Oof. Oof. We are not called to an easy life or a quiet life or a removed life or a life of violent uprising. We are called to a life of being salt, of being light, of living fully into who we are as people of faith by holding up our values out loud, by standing up for what we think is good. And so whenever you feel like maybe your political leaders don't fully represent you, you know what you've got to do. Yeah. Get organized and get loud because there is hope. There is. There is hope. So that was my sermon on Sunday. Nice. Thank y'all. Ciao. So thanks for listening to the Sunday, this Sunday morning sleep in podcast. If you have a question for us or stories that relate to the topics we've been discussing today, we have an email Sunday morning sleep in at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our Facebook page and we invite you to like our Facebook page and share it with your friends. And uh, in case they want to hear our sermon, this our week. amazing sermons, sermons about week. Harry Potter right. and Hamilton. Right. All right. So um, find us on uh, Google Play, um, iTunes, um, wherever. And if you can't find us, let us know. We'll figure that out. But uh, And we also have a sundaymorningsleepin.com. Uh, so the scripture for this sermon this morning came from Matthew, Matthew 5. 13 to 20. 13 to 20. And you heard it from the message. Um, and the theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazar. So William Faulkner said, Never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth and compassion against injustice and lying and greed. If people all over the world would do this, it would change the earth. I think that's absolutely true. So go out there and be salty. <laughs> get a, get a lighty. Get a little salty. Get a little shiny. That's cool. Um, be you. God has already given you everything you need to be who you are out loud, to stand up for what you believe in. And so um, we're just asking you to have the courage to do that. We're asking you to have the courage to lift up love and compassion and hope and grace and peace and justice for all people. We're asking you to risk something, perhaps. But we think it's worth it because we don't think the kingdom of God is something that's far away that we're waiting for. It's something that's right here and right now, and we don't want you to miss it. So go out and love every person you meet, even the ones you might not think deserve it, because God thinks they do. Amen? Amen.